Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you could submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, it's a conversation about survivorship with Angela Kyrilla and Mayan Juck. Angela is a licensed clinical social worker at Smilo Cancer Hospital, and May is a nurse practitioner at Smilo. Here's Dr. Anise Chagpar. So maybe we can start by talking about survivorship in general. I mean, for a lot of the time here on Yale Cancer Center Answers, we talk about cancer treatment. Um, And I guess we're doing a good job in terms of cancer treatment in the sense that now we're talking about survivorship. Yes. Um, my name is May. I'm the nurse practitioner in the survivorship clinic here in Yale Cancer Center. Thanks for having us here. Um, definitely um, survivors um, in the U.S. are estimated at this time 14 million. And by 2014, it's actually estimated it will go up to about 19 million survivors. Wow. So, so maybe we can talk a little bit about why we even need to talk about survivors. I mean, isn't it that after your cancer diagnosis, your cancer treatment, you're home free? No, um, this is Angela Kerala, the social worker of the survivorship clinic. And actually, survivorship begins the day that a patient is diagnosed. And survivorship really is about living with, through, and beyond your cancer. Um, oftentimes, patients, when they're coming to our survivorship clinic, they're really at a very um, uh, important transitional and pivotal time, probably one of the most important times during their cancer journey. And it's at that time that they talk about a variety of um, challenges and concerns that they're now being faced with as they're moving into uh, beyond their cancer. Um, They're not only adjusting back to life, they're also adjusting to life now that they've been impacted by cancer and the effects that treatment can have on them. Yeah. The the Institute of Medicine put out a a great uh, paper uh, called Lost in Transition, this whole idea of, okay, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I, I had my cancer surgeon holding my hand. When I had my cancer treatment, my medical oncologist was holding my hand. And now I'm cancer-free, and who's holding my hand? Uh, so, May, is that where you come in? Absolutely. That's exactly what most patients come um, and see us and tell us, is the hand-holding was there from diagnosis through treatment and after treatment, they kind of feel abandoned. It's like, what do I have to do now? They've climbed up this hill, reached the top of the cliff, and it's looking down like the unknown of what to do. This is the, actually a pivotal time in their life that they need more support, both especially physically because they're still dealing with some of the side effects from chemotherapy, from radiation, from surgery, and the psychosocial emotional component absolutely start to creep up because that's part of their life that if anything 
through treatment was pushed aside. Yeah. Angela, you know, I find that so interesting because you would think that that would be the time that they would be celebrating. I'm getting back to my life. Chemo done, radiation done, surgery done. Woohoo! Um, but maybe not. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dr. Shagpar. A lot of times what we see happening when a when a cancer survivor comes through our clinic, they really are feeling quite ambivalent, you know, and oftentimes they share with me, wow, you know, I'm done with treatment, I should be happy, I should be celebrating, but why am I not? And honestly, from my perspective, what I see happening is so often cancer survivors, when they're in the active phase of their treatment, they're so busy with all the medical appointments and the radiation and the chemotherapy, it's almost like their brain hasn't started to process the emotional aspect mm-hmm. of what they've gone through until it's behind them. And as they're starting to put their life back into place, um, and as they're trying to put back all those puzzle pieces again and try and make their life fit back together and gain balance, then they start to feel anxious and some depression. Um, Fear of recurrence is the most common thing that we see among our cancer survivors in our clinic. And what cancer survivors need to know is this is a very normal part of the process. Um, Recently, there were some statistics that were released, and approximately 30% of cancer survivors have some level of fear of recurrence that is moderate to severe within a year of completing active treatment. Um, Most of the time, the patients that I talk to, they're able to manage this fear of recurrence in a very normal way. It doesn't impact their life or their functioning. Um, I talk a lot about variety of stress management and relaxation strategies and techniques, but there are some patients, some survivors, who do have anxiety and depression to a severe enough level where it's important for them to seek um, mental health counseling and treatment. So referrals to social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists in the community are beneficial um, at this point. Um, Also, it's between 30 and 40 percent of cancer survivors do actually have a mood disorder diagnosis. Mm. So it it seems like, you know, that's a little bit normal um, that you just went through cancer. You're wondering when it's going to strike again. But for a lot of these patients, it may never strike. Is that right? That's Correct, um, especially uh, with innovative ways of um, screening and surveillance and um, early pickup and early detection and treatment that they've received that really the um, rate of recurrence is, is absolutely less than what it used to be. Um, and also we try to promote um, healthy behaviors uh, absolutely vital when we see our patients um, in making sure that um, their nutrition, physical activity, and emotional well-being are addressed as a whole because it does affect um, their sometimes the, if the emotional well-being is not addressed, it manifests in physical symptoms like fatigue, um, insomnia, uh, pain. And again, and in, in it's hard to decipher until we start to see patients and talk to them one-on-one to figure out what is going on. And it is vital that we work together um, when we see our patients um, and communicate what needs to be done to help this patient move along. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that, Angela, because I think that you'll see people who often will be tired and trying to sort out, are you tired because you just got off of chemotherapy and radiation, which can make you tired? Are you tired because 
you are so emotionally drained uh, from this harrowing experience that you are tired? Or are you tired because now you're getting back to your three kids, your job, and your dog, <laughs> which would make anybody tired? Right. Qu- quite often, it's actually a combination of everything that you just pointed out. And that's really part of my role. My role is to really help the, the survivor examine how they're feeling, how they're thinking, the different physical signs and symptoms that they're having, and help them sort that out. Um, is it because because of treatment? Is it because it's um, uh, something impacting my emotional well-being that's coming out uh, physically? Um, you know, and then helping provide them with the appropriate resources and services. Um, we have a variety of um, services available that we can refer patients to. We have um, over 20 different support groups available to uh, at Smilo and throughout our care centers um, for a variety of different types of cancers. I actually co-facilitate four different support groups an early-stage breast cancer, um, a metastatic breast cancer, kidney cancer support group, as well as a young adult cancer support group. And I'm pleased to say that the young adult cancer support group is actually a group that was started by a cancer survivor and is co-facilitated by a cancer survivor. And that's open to any patient between the ages of 18 and 40 and with any type of cancer diagnosis. Um, I believe we have um, smoking cessation available. We have a clinic um, at Yale called SIMS. It stands for Sexual Intimacy and Menopause Issues. Um, that is a clinic that we do, in fact, refer women who have gone through breast or different gynecological cancers to. Um, we uh, have referred patients as well to the Yale Stress Center, um, who, again, the focus is treating the person as a whole. Um, they provide uh, mindfulness workshops, acupuncture, um, yoga. So, again, we promote um, this type of treatments to help address and um, improve their emotional well-being. Not to mention physical therapy as well as um, dietary. Yeah, because I I can imagine that, you know, all of these issues play such a big role after you've gone through cancer. I mean, for many of us, we we struggle with our weight. We need to get to the gym more often. We know that we need to, uh, you know, reduce our stress. Um, That's part of normal living. But I can see how that would just be so much more accentuated in a Mm -hmm. cancer survivor. Mm So tell us a little bit more about kind of some some tips that you may have for cancer survivors in terms of, of their nutrition. I mean, I, there isn't a day that goes by that somebody doesn't ask me, well, was it something that I ate that caused cancer? What should I be eating now? Uh, what should I not be eating? W- what are the rules? Unfortunately, there's no vital rule that we tell patients. We do have a nutritionist who um, does this uh, one-on-one session and addresses all these questions. She's not with us today, but these are the common questions that patients come when they see us. Number one, um, I ate something in my lifetime that caused this cancer. Um, Now I'm in fear of what I'm going to eat. Um, Should I avoid soy products altogether? Supplements are... All of these are something that our nutritionist, Maura Harrigan, addresses all the time. Um, It's really a balance of healthy, nutritious meals. She always talks about the rainbow of colors, and that's what should be on your plate, um, which is obviously getting your nutrition from natural products, from 
um, that are available. Um, when patients do come with supplements and a list of them, Maura and I um, review to make sure that there's no interaction um, with any of their medications, especially for breast cancer patients on endocrine therapy treatment. It is not an easy one-session-done-deal discussion, so that's why we, when they come and see us, we offer a follow-up visit about 8 to 10 weeks later to see how they're doing, if what our recommendations, the tools that we gave them, was something that they were able to use. Do we need to fine-tune some of that? Um, and again, after the second visit, we keep an open-door policy. They can always come back anytime. Yeah, so so really getting a balanced, healthy nutrition diet uh, is the same that we would recommend for just about anybody, um, and and cancer survivors need to hear that message. What about what about physical activity? I can imagine that that's another issue that uh, might be a burning topic for many survivors. Um, how much activity can I do? Should I do? Should I not do? What do you what do you tell survivors about that? Our physical therapist, Scott um, Caposa, um, is the person that uh, we work with, and this is exactly the question that he addresses. He first makes a baseline assessment of what the patient is currently doing, and from there, um, learn their daily routine and actually tries to incorporate within that daily activity where should this uh, physical activity or exercise be incorporated. The recommendation for cancer survivors is um, exercise um, 30 minutes, five days a week. I mean, three to five days a week. So really uh, 150 minutes a week. So that could be divided into whatever that's convenient for the patient. We always tell patients start slow and go in increments of five to 10 minutes. We usually tell patients start at 10 to 15 minutes and then gradually increase every few days to reach the goal. So it sounds like the recommendations are pretty much the same across the board. We're going to talk more about survivorship and the issues concerning survivorship when we take a break after a medical minute. The American Cancer Society estimates that there will be 75,000 new cases of melanoma in the U.S. this year, with over 1,000 of these patients living in Connecticut. While melanoma accounts for only about 4% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. Early detection is the key, and when detected early, melanoma is easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven to test innovative new treatments for melanoma. The goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence, SPORE, in Skin Cancer Grant is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guests, Angela Carella and Mayan Yock. We're talking about cancer survivorship. It's a topic that we don't often cover here on Yale Cancer Center Answers because we spend so much time talking about treatment and advances in treatment. But the good news is that we've advanced treatment to such a point where 14 million cancer survivors are alive and well 
right now in the United States, and that number is estimated to grow. But still, these cancer survivors face a number of issues, and I want to get back to some of those issues. So, Angela, before the break, you mentioned a few issues that cancer survivors face. So, for example, this whole issue of sexual function, I mean, it's something that a lot of people don't think about. Um, Talk more about that. Well, that's exactly right, um, Dr. Shagpar. Um, You know, the fact is um, cancer is not just something that impacts your life physically. It can impact it socially, emotionally, spiritually, and, and even sexually. And unfortunately, sometimes the sexual issues are the issues that can be difficult to talk about, right. or they're the issues that oftentimes um, we don't bring up because we feel uncomfortable. Um, it's very common that once a patient comes to the survivorship clinic, that's actually something that is brought to our attention. Um, and oftentimes, um, you know, the sexual issues can be attributed to the variety of treatments that they have gone through, um, the different types of chemotherapy or radiation. Um, it's, it's pretty common to have men, for example, who have gone through different types of cancer, testicular cancer, prostate cancer, as well as women that have gone through breast and different type of gynecological cancers. Uh, May, do you have? Yes, um, that is actually one of the uh, key points that I uh, talk to patients about when it comes to um, long-term potential side effects based on the treatments you've received. So someone that had ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, breast cancer, there's always the component of um, sexuality issues, lack of libido, vaginal dryness. Um, It is uncomfortable. And I think knowing that um, I'm talking to typical majority of them are female. So female to female, they are able to kind of open up a little bit to me. And I have just basic suggestions during the visits. But I do mention the fact that we offer a clinic in Yale Cancer Center called the SIMS Clinic, and that stands for Sexuality, Intimacy, Menopausal Symptoms Clinic. And I do a lot of referrals to uh, to this clinic, and um, patients have given feedback to me that they are helpful. I think what's very important to emphasize and that our whole um, clinic emphasizes is that it's very normal to have um, sexual side effects Mm -hmm. related to going through treatment. Um, And it's it's a relief oftentimes to women and men to hear this, that they're not alone, that this is normal and this is quite common. Um, also, besides the physical aspect that May talked about, there's also the social and emotional aspect. Um, oftentimes, because there isn't libido, um, women and men feel that their relationship with their significant other, their loved one, their spouse, is being impacted in some way. Um, and so... That's an opportunity for me to talk about relationship um, issues that might come up between them. Um, oftentimes, referrals to couples therapy um, is something that um, I discuss with them as well. Um, but again, I think just emphasizing that a lot of what they're experiencing and going through is normal and that this is a safe place to talk about it. Right. And that there are suggestions for things that you can do. But getting back to the point that you were just making about you know, really the relationships. Because I can imagine that the other thing that cancer does is it puts a strain or or perhaps a perceived strain on relationships. I mean, it's hard going through cancer. 
but it's also hard supporting somebody going through cancer. So what do you talk to families and couples about? I mean, is it is survivorship just about the survivor or is it about the survivor and their significant other, their family, their community, their loved ones? When our patients come to uh, to our clinic, we actually offer if the significant other wants to come, it's absolutely welcome. So um, when I do my sessions, they are in the same room as the patient, as myself, uh, talking to them. And it's really a matter of including them in the assessments, making sure that they are also finding ways to find support for themselves mm-hmm. aside from taking care of the loved one that is sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, um, the key thing is, again, I connect with uh, Angela to make sure that um, please talk more to the patient about what's going on because, and then if whatever assessment or referrals that you need, I can definitely help in that mm-hmm. way. And, you know, the fact is... Um, Actually, the definition of survivorship has been expanded um, to include um, caregivers, family members, friends as Mm co-survivors. So again, the day that a patient is diagnosed with cancer, that's when you've become a survivor, um, along with your family members, friends, and caregivers. And so caregivers are impacted by cancer, um, just like survivors. In fact, oftentimes, um, the level of distress that a caregiver feels is more stressful than the stress that a survivor is feeling. Um, There's been research to show that caregivers actually feel um, higher fear of recurrence as well as uncertainty about the future than the actual cancer survivor does. The other thing is that there's a lot of responsibility and role reversal that the caregiver has to take on. And even when the um, cancer survivor is transitioning into moving beyond their cancer, the caregiver um, is still supporting them emotionally, helping them deal with the side effects of treatment, maybe helping manage medical appointments and finances, as well as also trying to balance their own physical and emotional well-being. Caregivers are definitely at risk for emotional distress, including anxiety, depression, social isolation. Um, These are quite common. And again, just like it's important to recommend and suggest that cancer survivors attend a support group, it's also important that caregivers Um, attend a support group. A lot of research supports that when cancer survivors and their caregivers attend support groups, it it impacts their um, emotional well-being in a positive way to be able to be relating to others who are going through similar circumstances. And actually at Smilo, we do in fact have a caregiver support group that meets twice a month. And um, social work services are not only just available to the patient, um, they're available to the caregiver and the family members as well. Um, And we also have complimentary services as well as the Patient and Family Resource Center that are available to support the caregiver along with the cancer survivor. You know, that's so good to know because I think a lot of people, when we think about support groups, um, we really think about the cancer survivor and we we don't we don't think about um the co-survivors as you put it who really do take a a huge brunt um uh, of of that whole process uh, uh on them i guess the other issue too that you mentioned was the finances which is another one of these topics that's often swept under the rug um because people think okay i'm surviving cancer this is a big illness i just want to save my life 
Um, but at the end of the day, it can take a huge toll uh, in terms of medical expenses, too. Mm-hmm. How, how do you deal with that? Is that an issue that survivors bring up? It is absolutely one of one of the major issues that's also brought up. We do have in our clinic when patients come to see us first is a distress thermometer. Mm-hmm. And it on one side of it, it does ask how, in a scale from 0 to 10, how distressed are you in the past week? And on the opposite side of the page is a checkoff list of what caused that distress. And majority of the times, it's always checked off. It's finances, mm. work. And then there's the physical symptoms that come along with it and the fear of recurrence and emotional well-being. And that distress thermometer is a tool for us to guide how we are going to talk to the patients, assess the needs and referrals that they may need. And Angela uses this uh, distress thermometer a lot. Oftentimes, um, when patients are in the active phase of treatment, surgery, chemo, radiation, they have to take um, a significant time off of work, maybe cut back their work hours, maybe they quit their job altogether in order to manage um, what they're going through. And so often, as they're completing their active phase of treatment, transitioning back into life, oftentimes you will hear and read in the literature, um, cancer survivors talk about the new normal. And the new normal really is. It's really redefining your life, um, rebalancing it out after being impacted by cancer. And one of the large things that often is brought up is that the transition back to work can be quite challenging. Um, Oftentimes it's because you're dealing with the side effects of treatment, Um, fatigue, issues with memory and concentration, um, difficulty with pain, sleep issues. Um, Those are all things that you're trying to um, deal with along with trying to get back into your normal um, work routine. And so oftentimes because you've been out of work for a period of time, your monthly bills, um, you know, are, are your expenses and so forth are still there. You still have to make those payments. And so there's a loss of income that results to that. Um, oftentimes when I meet with patients, it's just making a variety of referrals to different resources in the community, um, educating them that they can contact different billing offices for different medical providers and hospitals to negotiate payment plans. Um, you know, uh, having them talk to their mortgage companies, letting them know um, that they've been impacted by a serious illness, um, you know, a variety of things like that. Do you get a lot of patients who tell you that they're in fear of losing their jobs? Um, you know, no, I would say not really. Um, no. Um, I think really uh, what my experience is, they're actually worried more about if they have a span of time in their resume mm, where definitely is no work. Mm-hmm. What happened between this time and this time? They worry about, should I tell them that I was diagnosed with cancer? Mm. Would they hire me knowing that I have this cancer history? And that is actually another component that comes up. Mm. And um, and I'm pretty sure Angela addresses and gives her them tips and information on how to go about that. 
Um, there is a lot of wonderful information available through, like, the American Cancer Society, and there's a wonderful website out there that talks about, about um, the different federal laws and state laws and regulations um, that um, cancer survivors are faced with. Um, talks about different cancer and careers and things like that and how to address that. So I definitely refer, um, you know, cancer survivors to the various resources to help guide them through that process. And also, it's important to communicate with your human resource department, um, with your employer. Um, oftentimes, though, cancer survivors are nervous um, mm-hmm. and um, don't know what to say and don't know what to do um, about how to address that. Angela Kyrilla is a licensed clinical social worker at Smilo Cancer Hospital, and Mayan Juck is a nurse practitioner at Smilo. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.